I'm Jesse Lubinsky. I'm Donnie Piercy. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Heil, hosts of the Partial Credit Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome to another edition of Ed News This Week. I'm Anne, here to share with you three recent news stories from the education world. But before I get to those first, if you happen to hear a little hum in the background, that's because I have a fan going. I don't know about you, but I live in California and it has been super hot here. And where I'm recording right now, there's no air conditioning on. And so I needed a fan or I was just gonna die. In any case, I just wanna let you know that in case you hear that annoying little hum in the background. And uh, you know, I'm just not a super techno wizard at learning how to cancel out that stuff. So bear with me. Hopefully my voice is loud enough to go over that. Also, I just wanted to let you know that Jen and I will be the featured guests on the very first episode of Behind the Mic. It's a podcast series um, that you can find on the Education Podcast Network. Chris Nessie um, is the network's founder, and he's interviewing all the different hosts of the network's various shows from the EPN, also known as the Education Podcast Network. Jen and I, we had a great time talking with Chris about the um, behind the scenes stuff of transparency in teaching. I gotta tell you, it was, I was a little nerve wracked actually. It's different when you're not the one asking the questions and you're the one having to come up with answers. So yeah, I was a little nervous, got real sweaty doing it, it was crazy. Anyways, I hope you'll check out Behind the Mic and listen to our episode. And um, also all the other great education podcast shows on the Education Podcast Network. You can visit um, transparencyandteaching.com for the links to Behind the Mic and the Education Podcast Network. Okay, so this week in the news, I'm going to be sharing with you a story about New Hampshire teachers who are getting paid to teach chess. Um, I'm going to share a story about the revamping of graduation requirements and a story about bypassing the bachelor's for a teaching credential. As usual, you can find all the resources used to create this episode on our website, transparencyandteaching.com, as well as all our informative episodes and blog posts and about all things teaching. So stay tuned for this week's news and my opinions right after this. get started. New Hampshire's Executive Council is using $60,000 of federally funded contract money that will pay the nonprofit Chess and Education to provide summer and fall training to teachers interested in incorporating chess into their classrooms. Now, this proposal is actually from the Department of Education in New Hampshire and will provide uh, the participating teachers with chess equipment, software and support so that they can create programs at their schools. Now, 83 public and private school teachers did participate in this program last summer. And so far, the program has given out 732 chess sets to these teachers and their schools. Now, I don't know, is that money well spent? Well, if you're part of the, uh, the group that's pu- pushing this, I would guess you would say yes, because 
This contract extends the 2021 state initiative called the Granite Gambit. Now, being that New Hampshire is the granite state, of course, this plays off the wildly popular 2020 Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit, based on Walter Tevis's 1983 novel of the same name. Now, in case you were the one person without a Netflix account, it was about a female chess prodigy who works to become an elite player. The show was one of Netflix's most popular, which I can vouch for because, I mean, it was excellent. I binge watched it, if I'm honest. It was wonderfully acted. It was beautifully shot. Plus, the chess world gave it two thumbs up, Siskel and Ebert style, for accurately depicting high-level chess. Now, for those of you who don't remember who Siskel and Ebert is, go Google it. The New Hampshire Department of Education capitalized on the surge of chess's popularity after this uh, series came out. In fact, a CNN article stated that the first three weeks after the Queen's Gambit debuted, sales of chess sets went up by 87% in the United States, and sales of books about chess leaped about 603%. This was according to a marketing research company called NPD. Now, before 2020, the sales of chess books and chess sets were like flat or had declined for years. Well, you know, leave it to a TV show to spark interest. Apparently, that book remained on shelves, not inspiring anyone for 37 years. But we all know, nobody likes to read. So sad. Now, this might sound novel for the United States, but chess is actually a required class in Armenia. The World Chess Federation, in fact, lists 24 active Armenian grandmasters. Other countries have also introduced chess into schools, um, including the United Kingdom, Spain, Turkey, Germany, Italy, Venezuela, and Hungary. The New Hampshire Department of Education cites that this increased demand for student participation in these classes has led them to want to renew this program. And they feel that chess teaches students valuable lessons in problem solving, uh, planning, time management, these are all skills that are needed for real-world jobs. This is backed up by a five-year study of chess in grades two through eight. The teachers who partook in this um, particular study found that their students who participated in the program improved their problem-solving, they improved strategic and critical thinking, they improved decision-making, and I think maybe most importantly, became more interested in school. And I think that last one alone sounds worth it. Kids need some reason to show up. At least some kids do. Now, all I can think of when I picture a chess class is dead silence. How nice would that be? I mean, might be worth a week in the summer to have one quiet class during the school year, but I do believe that game playing does have a place in class. After the pandemic, I taught my classes how to play Bunko. You know, that non-thinking dice rolling game. Of course, in class, it was minus the drinking and the $5 buy-in. But what it did do was force kids who wouldn't normally talk to each other to meet new people because the game requires you to get a new partner for each round. And Lord knows those poor pandemic babies needed to practice those um, social niceties. Chess is definitely a thinking game. And anytime you can disguise teaching students to think is a good thing. There's decorum involved and rules, and these are all things kids need. Also, being in a chess club in high school, that doesn't look so bad on your college resume. Maybe more schools should make it a required class. What do you think? Would you want to teach a chess class?
This next story is about revamping graduation requirements. Now, as I read this story from the education blog called EdNote, it made me just start to think about what our school district's policy is about graduation and who gets to decide what to require. A Rhode Island study found that while eight out of 10 of their high school seniors wanted to attend college, only six of the 10 were enrolled in high school courses that they needed in order to be eligible. They found that high school graduation requirements didn't mesh with the state's college admission prerequisites. So upon graduating, many students weren't qualified to enter college. Uh, why? Now, I thought their counselors were supposed to make sure they were on track to meet those requirements. Maybe they need to revamp the counseling department. Uh, yes. To remedy the situation, the state called on teachers. Um, they got parents, students, labor unions, and business and nonprofit leaders to give their input at a series of public meetings. They used the community's ideas as a basis for the new requirements. And you could tell it was really important to the people who were involved because the department received over 400 comments on their proposed amendments. This was the most public comments that they'd ever received on any K-12 regulations or changes. Aside from making sure that the university's requirements aligned with the high school, which, I mean, come on, completely makes sense. There were some novel ideas incorporated, and I thought, you know what? Some of these ideas, they probably should be nationwide. So here are some of the things that I found that I thought were pretty unique. First one was they eliminated, quote unquote, seat time. Instead of requiring um, how many hours that you spend in school, they changed it so that hours were replaced by a demonstration of mastery, which if you had listened to our last few podcasts, We've been talking about mastery learning all over the place, and it just totally makes sense. So students have to now demonstrate mastery in order to receive credit. Now, the good thing about this is it gives students greater flexibility in how they, you know, how long it takes them to earn their units. You know, especially students who may have to work or take care of family members. Um, if you've got the knowledge, I think it shouldn't matter how many days you attend. You know, if you can prove you already know the curriculum, you got it, then what difference does it make if you were there 180 days or 100, and, or 100 days? Right now, in any case, seat time means nothing, right? Because even if a student comes every day to class but does nothing, you know, we still pass them along. So how does that make them more qualified to graduate than a student who might miss a whole bunch of days but still manages to do the work and know, the, and know their stuff? Um, I don't know. They also eliminated the option of the career college ready track. This made, and they made it instead a requirement for all the students, right? So before this, you could choose. Do I want college and career ready or do I just want regular high school graduation? Well, that makes no sense. Duh. Why would you want students to graduate without being ready for employment or higher education? Isn't that the whole point of high school? Okay, another thing they did was students will now have to demonstrate proficiency in civics, in computer science, and the new buzzword, financial literacy, starting with the class of 2028. So I guess the delay is, is to give schools time to develop or find a curriculum and I guess to have to decide what proficiency is and how students are going to demonstrate that. It didn't say um, in the information that I read. They should probably maybe talk to business owners and retirement planners 
to figure out what should be in that curriculum. That's what I think, anyways. Makes sense. When will you learn that all my ideas are good ones? All students will also need to complete the FAFSA. And for those of you without college kids who are on their way to school, that is the free application for federal student aid. It's a requirement for every student who's going to go to college, whether or not you're going to be eligible for getting student aid. Anyways, um, they're making that a requirement now that all students will fill that out and that all students will create a resume. I think that resume idea is excellent because just learning how to put a resume together is such a needed skill. It can help students see their strengths and where they may be lacking, even if they aren't going to use the resume. You know, it's a way of reflecting on what you know and what and where your strengths are. And it wouldn't hurt to require a class in how to interview for a job, since most students have forgotten how to shake a hand and look a person in the eye when they're talking to them, or how to answer questions with more than a grunt or one word. I don't know. Have you talked to teenagers lately? It's crazy. All students will also have to take at least one performance-based diploma assessment that may include work-based learning, such as like apprenticeships. Yes, apprenticeships are coming back in style. Also, um, work-based learning could be community service, but can we please make it real community service and not just asking a past teacher if they can come clean out your cabinets or grade papers to get their service hours in? I mean, at least... That's what I witnessed in our school district. It should be something where they're actually working to do something valuable to improve their actual community, not grade papers or sit in a classroom and bullshit with their teacher. Anyway, or it can be project-based learning projects, something that shows that they can use, actually use what they've learned while going to school in some kind of productive, practical way. If you're curious about what your state mandates for graduation requirements, there's a really great, fabulous chart put together by the Education Commission for the States that breaks down the requirements state by states on all sorts of data points. I'll include a link to that on our website, transparencyandteaching.com. Here are some of the bigger takeaways I found on the Commission of the States charts. First, when you look at that chart, you should probably know that it shows you like how many years for, of each subject are required and it kind of, it gives you a number. And what that number equals are credits. So one credit equals one year, 120 to 180 hours. So that's per class. So um, if it says 0.5, that means it's a semester requirement. So for example, if it says English four, that means that um, school, uh, that graduation requirements are four years of English. So right now, 21 states do or will require a semester of financial literacy. This has been something that's been in the news all over the place, uh, financial literacy. A lot of schools are adopting it. Um, now, a semester requirement, that's a start, but I don't really think it's enough to learn all the ins and outs of staying solvent and not getting in debt over your head, how to manage student loans, what interest means, all of that stuff I think kids need, and I think that's going to take a lot longer than a semester. Some states require for graduation a competency test, like the SAT or the ACT. Now, I know there's a push to get rid of these kinds of tests, but I think they serve some purpose for assessing a student's general knowledge. 
and letting students know where they're at. I, I don't know that they are a good predictor of how students will actually do in college. And that, I think, is the caveat about why they want to get rid of them as part of college admission standards. Because, you know, some students are horrible test takers, like I was, but are very diligent students, like I was, who work really hard and do well. So I think maybe it's a good idea for a student to look at, but not necessarily colleges. Some states allow individual districts, this, this killed me, they allow individual districts to set their own graduation requirements. Really? You're kidding. No, no, you're not kidding. You have like 30 districts in your state and each one of them has different requirements? That's crazy. How does that make sense? If you're preparing students for, at a minimum, your state's college system, Shouldn't all the districts play by the same rules? I mean, what if your parents move and you move to a district that doesn't have the same requirements yours did and now you can't go to a state college? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Seems like it should be statewide. At least the minimum should be. Another uh, graduation diploma add-on, and I wasn't aware of this, is called endorsements. Now, I don't think this was a thing when I graduated unless CSF, the uh, California Scholarship Federation, which is a California Honor Society, was considered an endorsement. I was part of that. And I got to wear this really special gold rope at graduation to show I met their requirements. But it wasn't part of my diploma. It was just around my neck. And I might have ended up hanging it, I think, from my rearview mirror along with my graduation tassel. Anyways, I don't even know where it is now. But today, many schools are offering a variety of these diploma endorsements to indicate that a student has an additional achievement in some particular field. The purpose of these endorsements is to incentivize students to go above and beyond those minimum graduation requirements. And I think these endorsements can play a really big part in getting into your you know, college admissions or maybe even employment it might impress an employer to show that you had that or that a student had the gumption to go and do extra work. Now, for example, some of these endorsements can be given for STEM, arts and humanities, business and industry, public services, aerospace and defense, multiple, multi, I can't even say this, multidisciplinary studies, or biliteracy. So I got curious, um, you know, what my state, California, offers for endorsements. And there are three that California offers. Um, just to give you an idea of what an endorsement entails, at least in our state, uh, the Golden State Seal Merit Diploma is one, and that means that the student who earns that endorsement got a B or above, some of the classes are B pluses, but a B or above basically in every single class they took throughout their entire high school career, so nothing lower than a B. They get That gets that endorsement. I guess that can show somebody, wow, you worked really hard in class and, and you weren't a slacker in anything, even basket weaving. The other one, another one is the state seal of biliteracy. And when I looked at the requirements for this, I thought, wow, that is, that really does show you went above and beyond. I think it's super tough. It requires, in order to earn that, that a student has taken four years of a foreign language and every single one of those classes has to have a B or better. They also have to pass um, a literacy test in that language, such as the AP or the SAT foreign language tests, as well as doing service, I think, in some of foreign language um, areas as well. So, I mean, to me, that's that's quite a, a feat if a student is really dedicated to that. 
And the third one they offer is the state seal of civic engagement. And this means that the student has demonstrated a deep knowledge of the United States and the state constitution, and that they've been involved in actual projects that benefit civic needs. So they're actually doing something to show that they are trying to better their communities. So that's what California offers. And they can be very powerful. For example, the value of these endorsements can be seen in states like Mississippi, which offers guaranteed public university admission for any students who earn a high school uh, endorsement. Apparently, if you get a high school endorsement in Mississippi on your diploma, then you get to go to college, and you get to go to college, and you get to go to college, and I'm channeling my inner Oprah. North Dakota is the only state that doesn't explicitly offer any endorsements. Do you know what your high school's graduation requirements are? What about endorsements? Were you aware of those? Hopefully, you feel more informed now, um, as I do after doing this research. You know, I'm here to help. On to our last story. Kentucky's General Assembly says, no bachelor degree? Hey, no problem. Kentucky is now the first state in the nation not to require a bachelor's degree to get a teaching credential with the passage of what they're calling option nine. No way. Yes way. This is Kentucky's way of trying to encourage people to go into the profession to help alleviate this teacher shortage. Now, before I lead you to believe that any Joe Blow can just walk into a Kentucky school district and ask for an application, there are a few rules that surround option nine which is Kentucky's new alternative to teacherdom. Okay, other states don't necessarily require a degree in education to obtain a credential. Just a bachelor's degree is all. For example, Florida gives workers with non-teaching bachelor's degrees temporary credentials, provided they complete a teaching program within three years. Still... They can enter a classroom with no background in the teaching profession. Would you let a doctor work on you if they had a temporary license, but were working on getting their real license? Uh, I guess you could argue that teachers aren't necessarily going to harm someone's health with bad teaching. Oh, wait, does mental health count? Is student time wasted with a bad teacher harmful? I mean... Will a teacher with a degree in quantum physics know how to teach your first grader how to read? I don't know, think about that. Anyways, first, in order to be qualified for this option nine, a candidate must be currently working in a school district as a classified employee while participating in the requirements for the credential. This is part of that, um, quote, grow your own, unquote, teacher movement. Normally, um, a teacher candidate would have to obtain their bachelor's before going into a teacher preparation program. This is a requirement in every other state. But option nine waives this requirement and allows candidates to earn their bachelor's and credential concurrently. This is a three-year program which requires the candidates to continue working but in a classroom in a non-teaching role. In other words, they continue with their current position without taking over the actual teaching of the class. So I think to myself, 
where's the student teaching part? They will also be required to take coursework and pass assessments before being awarded the preliminary credential. Okay, most of us, when we finish our credential, it's a preliminary one and we have to do further coursework in order to get our permanent credential. So they'll get a preliminary after this. But basically, this is what it's doing. So instead of four years of study and then a year or two to take the necessary courses and student teaching that most programs require, option nine candidates get the whole shebang in three years. School districts partner with colleges and universities and the Kentucky Education Professional Standards Board, the KEPSB, is responsible for establishing the performance standards and assessments required to complete option nine. School districts across Kentucky have partnered with the EPSB to participate in this option nine program. So what do you think? Is this watering down the teaching program? Are we sending people into the classroom unprepared to take the reins? I mean, those of us who have been fortunate enough to have a good paraprofessional work in our classrooms, we know that these people could run your class better than those, um, you know, substitute teachers they get for you when you're sick. In fact, I know that many paraprofessionals have actually taken over the classrooms for these inept subs. In actuality, many of them are already doing a lot of teaching. They work with small groups, you know, or they cover for you when you have to step out, like go to the bathroom, or you're late because of traffic. Many of them collaborate with their teachers to plan and grade. Um, I'll go as far as to say paraprofessionals already have a leg up on how to handle discipline way better than any student teacher or even teacher fresh out of the credential program does. I mean, they've been witness to it for however many years they've been in the classroom. So maybe option nine makes sense for people who have already put in years of works in classroom. Personally, I think this makes more sense than allowing any person with a bachelor's degree to step into a classroom without any classroom experience whatsoever, Florida. We also know that just because you have a bachelor's and, a, and you went through a credential program, that doesn't make you a great teacher. There are plenty of things college and credential programs can't teach you, like patience, empathy, um, creativity, or having a thick enough skin to brush off all those hurtful comments from a student or a coworker, for that matter. Ugh, never mind, I'm getting off on a rant. So, that's a wrap for Ed News this week. I hope you'll visit our website, transparencyandteaching.com, to find all our informative, entertaining episodes, as well as all the resources I used for this episode. Or check out our Instagram at transparency underscore in underscore teaching. Oh, and thank you to all of our listeners who have shared their reviews and ratings. Oh my gosh, we are so grateful for your input. You know, leave you listening right now, you person who's got the headphones on. Why don't you leave us your comments and reviews too? Your input is what helps us decide what you want to you want to hear about. What should we talk about next? Let us know. So, with all of that, this week's Ed News is now your news to share. So, until next time, this is Anne signing off, saying, may all your news be good news. Thank you.